For many people, a debilitating stroke would be just that, debilitating with a limited chance of recovery. For Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, and now many others, it's a new beginning. I'm absolutely thrilled she's joining us, and you are going to want to stick around and learn from her about whole brain living. Twenty-five years ago, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor was a leading cellular neuroanatomist. More specifically, she was focused on learning about how the cells in the brain communicate with one another, which chemicals they use, and in which quantities. Dr. Jill was teaching and performing research at Harvard Medical School in Boston, mapping out the human brain, and then it all went black. Dr. Jill had a debilitating stroke. She observed her own brain shutting down and within hours could not speak or walk. She was 37. This event knocked her onto a new trajectory and resulted in a best-selling book, viral TED Talk, and stories so inspirational the movie rights were optioned by Oprah. Her newest book is focused on whole brain living and the anatomy of choice. Dr. Jill joins us now. Welcome to our podcast, Dr. Jill. Sarah, I'm so excited to be with you. Thank you. Oh, it's just such a delight. What went through your mind when you realized that you were having a stroke? You know, uh, it took four hours. Uh, it was the morning of the stroke took four hours. And it was quite a while before I actually realized that I was having a stroke because I'm a I'm a neuroanatomist. I'm not a neurologist, so I don't have a lot of experience with stroke. But I did end up thinking, wow, how many brain scientists has have the opportunity to study their own brain from the inside out? It was pretty cool. <laughs> no kidding. And what an outlook you have. What a perspective on that. Has your stroke and your recovery changed your outlook on your life? Well, it has completely shifted how I perceive myself as an individual in the world. So I see myself less as me, the ego, me, uh, the identification of myself, et cetera. And, and the world no longer kind of spirals around me. Uh, instead, I have shifted into a part of the consciousness of the whole of humanity and how do I best serve, use what I am in order to serve the betterment of humanity in relationship to the world? Wow, I love that. Can you explain for our listeners the difference between the left and the right sides of our brain? The biggest difference is, well, first of all, they're mirror images of one another. But the right hemisphere essentially starts at a starting point, and then the perspective gets bigger and bigger and bigger and more open and expansive. And the right hemisphere is all about right here, right now. And there's, there's emotions and experience in the present moment, and there's thinking in the present moment. But the present moment means there's, there's no definition of time. It's just what is, is. So there's no right, wrong, no good, bad. It's just uh, we feel open and expansive and as big as the universe. The left hemisphere has a past and a future. And it also has a group of cells that defines the boundaries of where we begin and where we end. 
so that I know that my face is my face and I know that the glasses that I have on my face are not of me, even though they sit on my face for hours upon hours during a day. So the left brain is defining me, the individual, in relationship to a past and a future. So when I experienced my, my, my hemorrhage, it wiped out me, the individual. It wiped out my past, my perception of the future. I shifted completely into the present moment experience where I felt vast and open, expansive, and there was an incredible sense of peaceful euphoria there. Wow, that sounds quite blissful. It's like a mind melt. <laughs> it was exactly that. <laughs> Where did you find the strength to overcome the effects of the stroke? Um, I don't think it was a matter of where did I find the strength. I think it's like, what was my choice? You know, I was... I could exist in a state of vegetation where I was experiencing euphoria, where I was completely in the right brain, uh, present moment, um, completely non-functional human being, or I, I tried to connect a few of the neurons inside of my head and see what I could gain. And uh, for me, um, it was like, well, you know, I, I realized that if people realized that all they had to do was quiet the noisy left uh, language centers in our left hemisphere, then they too could find this peace, this blissful euphoria, and that it was a choice, it was a place, it was a part of ourselves that we could find our way into kind of like, uh, you know, this is the consciousness that people meditate or, or pray themselves to in hope of finding and, and I thought that, you know, if people realized that it was right there wired inside of their own heads, that maybe they could find that and become more compassionate and open and loving. How did you treat this life-altering experience as a scientist with a chance to learn firsthand the powers of the brain? Well, you know, I, I lost the left hemisphere, but I did not lose the right hemisphere. And our right hemisphere thinks and learns and um, has memories of three-dimensional spatial orientation and learning. So I had been a neuro brain anatomist as well as a body uh, cadaver lab uh, type of gross anatomist, as well as a tissue cellular histology uh, anatomist. So, so I was all about anatomy. And so I could still have sculpted for you an abdomen, the three dimension of an abdomen, but I had lost the left hemisphere that put, put names and titles uh, and terminology on, you know, what I, what I could still sculpt for you experientially. So, so I only lost half my mind. Um, and, um, and then the rebuilding of the left brain, fortunately, we can go to school and rebuild those skill sets. Uh, so in very many ways, I think I was fortunate that I lost the left hemisphere instead of the right hemisphere, which is uh, more subtle things that we, we just kind of acquire. We don't necessarily train ourselves in school to learn. I'm really fascinated right now with the limbic system. And you mentioned in one of your interviews that the cells in the limbic system never mature. Can you explain that? So information streams in through our sensory systems and it goes into the cells of our limbic system, which are our emotional 
system. And it's, again, the emotional tissue is bilateral. And so we have two amygdala, one in each hemisphere, two hippocampi, and then the rest of the cells of the emotional systems. So what that means is that I have emotions in the present moment experience of my right hemisphere, and I have emotions in my past and in my future. So then um, information go, comes in through the sensory systems. It goes to the amygdala. They ask the question, uh, by comparing information, am I safe? And when we feel safe, we feel calm. And when we feel calm, the cells next to us, the hippocampi turn on, and then we're capable of learning and memorizing new information. But if something stimulation comes in through our sensory systems and, and it stimulates our alarm, alarm, alert, alert of our amygdala, then we move into self-preservation and the cells in our hippocampi are shut down. So we're not learning and memorizing new information. We're managing the present moment emergency. So we are emotion. We are feeling creatures who think uh, because we have to get the information through the emotional system into the higher thinking cells of, of each of our hemispheres. So, uh, so that's, that's the, the quote that you were speaking of. Oh, thank you for that explanation. In your book, Whole Brain Living, you speak about four different characters, and I was really enjoying your interview with Jim Quick and actually some of the songs that you had um, associated with some of the characters. Could you explain some of those characters to our listeners? When you think about the anatomy of the brain, so we have these two emotional groups of cells, modules of cells, one in the right, right hemisphere for right here, right now, experiential and then the emotions in the left hemisphere emotion of our past. So, the, so then we, we also have thinking tissue in the left hemisphere and in the right hemisphere. And so when you look at these four modules of cells, they don't just exhibit abilities or skill sets, but they go with personalities. I mean, so for example, my character one, I call them character one, two, three, and four. Character one is the left thinking tissue. And the left thinking tissue is what we think of as our rational, analytical, critically analytical uh, mind that likes to organize and create order and control people, places, and things, and it's punctual, and it's details, details, more details about those details. It defines what is right and what is wrong as a societal norm. It defines as the societal norm of what is good and what is bad. So this is our A-type personality that tends to go to work, and uh, that's a character we can pretty much all relate to. Uh, character two is going to be the emotion of that left hemisphere. So this is going to be all of our pain and trauma from the past. And in order for me to feel resentment or guilty or uh, shame, I have to relate that to an experience that I've had in the past. I feel guilty about something I did or I resent you because of something you did. Um, and so it's it's all of these emotions about the past that we're then projecting into our lives in the present moment and into the external world. So uh, this is where our trauma is. This is where our addiction tissue is. Uh, this is where the parts of us that is looking for a reason to say no and push away 
from the stimulation coming in. That doesn't feel safe. That feels like a threat. That reminds me of threat from my past. So I think we pretty much all can recognize our little character two pain. Our character three is going to be the emotion of the present moment. Well, if the present moment doesn't have the left brain defining what is right, what is wrong, what is good, and what is bad, then it's the right brain's allowed in the present moment to be creative with what it has. And it's innovative and interested and curious. And it likes to be in relationship with others because also it doesn't have that group of cells in the left brain that defines me, the individual, separate from the whole, separate from you. So the right brain is very communal. It's very social. It's very uh, connected and collective. Um, so it's the experiential. What does it feel like? What does the air feel like? How much humidity is there in the air in the present moment? What does it feel like to have these clothing on my body? What is it? Wool? Is it cotton? How does it feel? Uh, how, how do the shoes feel on my feet? Are my feet happy? Uh, you know, and, and this character three is... Um, uh, playful and it's got a fantastic sense of humor. It's very witty and uh, and it's a, an adrenaline junkie. So um, uh, it can be very happy and it can also get us into a whole lot of trouble uh, because it does not honor and respect authority. Uh, and then character four is the thinking tissue in that right brain of the right here, right now. And this is the part of us that is right here, right now. I'm big as the universe. And you know, Sarah, I am just grateful, filled with intense, incredible, awe-inspiring gratitude that I am alive. And I'm not just alive, but I am a conscious being. I have eyes that allow me to see. I have ears that allow me to hear. I have legs that allow me to move myself in space. I have a voice to communicate and to be communicated with by others. I mean, the phenomenon of, oh my gosh, I'm alive, <laughs> is in that consciousness of that character four. So, so that's kind of the ultimate where we meditate to the part of ourselves as we quiet that left brain and we allow that right brain to truly be in gratitude. Oh, beautiful. And then you speak, too, about the brain huddle, where you're bringing all these characters together. Can you uh, elaborate on that? Yes. Yeah, so the tool is, you know, it's one thing to know who my four characters are, because because like right now I'm having a conversation with you. I'm uh, I got myself here on time. I'm dressed appropriately. Uh, I've got my earbuds in, you know, my character one came online and said, okay, let's go be a little bit of character one right now. Your character one's probably online and our, our ones are, are having communication. And um, so the first step is really recognizing, first of all, when are you in each of your four characters? Getting to know each of your four characters so well that at any moment you can bring your mind into the present moment and say, which of my four characters am I in right now? 
Well, if I'm out playing in the water and I'm swimming and I'm laughing and I'm under the water and I'm out of the water and I'm just splashing around, I'm probably in my character three having a blast, you know, just having a lot of fun. Um, but if I'm worried about uh, uh, if I'm worried about anything at all, if I, you know, don't know if I look good enough in my my bathing suit. And oh, my gosh, you know, my <laughs> my hair is a disaster and all these things and I know I'm in my character, too. And if I'm just like feeling like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm alive. What a, what a fantastic blessing this is. And look at where I am. I'm by the water. Oh, my gosh. That's my character for. So getting to know each of the, the characters instantaneously is step number one. But then getting those four characters to communicate with one another and know and have the power to choose which of those four characters you want to, to have be in the next moment uh, is a process that I call the brain huddle. And this is B-R-A-I-N. And this is a, a tool that we can train our four characters to do in order to be able to have the power to choose moment by moment consciously who and how we want to be in the world. Oh, that's great. Now, in some of your talks, I've heard you referring to terms like circuitry, offline, online. Do you get to work with any engineers? Because I find they have really fascinating insights into into the medical field. Oh, gosh. Biomedical engineering is mm -hmm. uh, uh, a lot of my students when I was teaching at uh, Rose Holman Institute of Technology was fantastic. A lot of my medical students end up going on into biomedical engineering. Some of my colleagues uh, are doing phenomenally fascinating, amazing things. Um, you know, the one of the reasons why I chose uh, to study the brain was I knew I would never be bored. It is such an amazing field of study uh, on, on so many levels. Absolutely. Now, in our podcast, we look at how the Borrelia bacteria, which causes Lyme disease, affects different parts of the body. I can just speak from my own experience of having neuroborreliosis and how scary that was to, you know, lose my ability to put words into sentences, to forget automatic things like putting my car in park was really scary. Um, do you have advice for people about how we can support patients who are experiencing challenges with their brain function? Absolutely. You know, first of all, um, you know, remembering that we are this magnificent collection of cells and every ability we have is because we have cells that are performing a function. So your ability to remember anything at all is 100 percent dependent on a group of cells inside of your brain remembering what it is you're trying to remember, not just being able to put it in storage, know it, put it in storage, but in order to be able to pull it out of storage. So when it comes to, to looking at the body, I think that there are some real fundamentals for healing. And one of them is um, how every cell in our body is completely dependent on quality sleep. And sleep is a time when our cells get to kind of shut down their function and clean up the waste and figure out what did they learn that day and to uh, an opportunity for the body to cleanse and wash out, flush out uh, the waste of all these 50 trillion cells that are eating and creating waste. So sleep is huge for me for any kind of, of health 
much less uh, healing or recovery. The other thing is going to be um, really paying attention to what you're putting into your body. Um, uh, uh, as JJ Virgin says, we're not just what we ate, we are what we eat ate. Mm. And, um, so the chemicals, I mean, ultimately everything's going to get broken down into atoms and molecules. And so what atoms and molecules am I putting into my body? And so if I'm eating an animal and that animal has had pesticides, uh, or some kind of a growth hormone or some kind of a whatever, whatever, that's inside of that animal. And that, if I'm consuming it, is now inside of my body. So my organic system needs to deal with that. So paying attention to sleep, number one, paying attention to consumption and nutrition is number two. And with that goes paying very close attention to how much sugar are we consuming? Because the sugar molecule is a spiky molecule that is like a razor blade. And the reason why sugar causes inflammation in the body is because as the sugar molecules pass through the blood system, the, the cardiovascular system, it essentially is slicing up the walls. And the walls of these blood vessels are other little cells that make up those walls. And so any kind of tissue damage causes inflammation. And so dealing with inflammation becomes a, a very big issue, I'm sure you're aware of. And then the third thing is movement. We need movement. We are a living organism of some 50 trillion beautiful cells. And they're, create, they're eating and they're creating waste in order to get the food to them and the waste away from them. They live in an, a fluid environment and movement keeps that fluid flowing. So uh, that's, that's where I go. I, I go totally to what do we need to do in order to create healthy cells? Mm -hmm. Because ultimately the cells are going to result in every ability or disability that we have. Yeah, that's right. And just like you've spoken about, too, believing that you will you will heal from that. So what is next on the horizon for you? Do you know where your research is taking you next? Oh, for me, my whole <laughs> life right now is about whole brain living. Yeah. This new book, you know, this book has been uh, 10 years in, in creation. And I didn't know how to communicate to other people how to help them better understand how to become completely conscious human beings. I mean, just think about it. So here you are, you're managing a, a major illness and character one comes online and says, okay, well, what's the protocol? How do I study? Let me do the research. Let me <laughs> learn about all the details. Let me figure out what do I need to do in order to set myself up for success? What medications do I need? What things do I need to avoid? How do I set myself up for good sleep, good mm -hmm. food, etc." So that's character one. That's the job of character one is to fix it. Character two comes in and says, oh my gosh, I have a serious illness and I'm sick and I don't feel well and I'm not well and I could not be well for a very long time and I'm not happy and I'm, I'm overwhelmed and I'm sad about it all and all this drama and trauma, we all know this is how we can be when we're facing a major illness. And then character three comes online and says, um, okay, well, I'd really like to get some movement in my body because I like <laughs> it when I feel better when I move. And 
And okay, well, I, I can move my toes. So I'm going to move my toes. So mm-hmm. I'm going to do what I can do. And I'm going to focus what I can do. I'm not going to focus what I cannot do, which is what little character two is doing. So little character three is saying, okay, what, what can I do? How do I start with what I have and increase my health? What can I do? What tiny little changes can I make in order to feel better in my body? Because my body is this amazing thing. And then my character four is going, wow, you know, there's some big lessons to be learned here because I got to slow down. And as I slow down, my values shift and my priorities shift. And I look at the world differently and I look at myself in relationship to the world differently. And there can be growth there on a real cosmic level for me. So for me, helping people really integrate and understand these four characters and then the brain huddle and how to bring them into communication so that we have the power to choose moment by moment who and how we want to be in the world. And especially as we're dealing with managing any kind of an illness, well, what part of me is showing up and which part of me should I, might I choose to show up instead? What is most appropriate for me as I take in order to advance my wellness instead of my illness? Oh, what a wonderful illustration. Thank you for walking us through that. And thank you just so much for joining us on the podcast and, uh, and sharing your expertise with all of our listeners. Thank you, Sarah. It's been a privilege. Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor is a neuroanatomist, an author, and an inspirational speaker. If you haven't seen her TED Talk, I recommend you watch it immediately. That was so inspirational to learn about the beauty and the resilience of the brain, and I especially love learning about the fundamentals of healing. That's another podcast. Thanks for listening to Can Lime's podcast, Looking at Lime. I'm your host and your partner in learning, Sarah Cormode. Remember, stay safe in the outdoors. <music>